0: Alright, well, hello and good morning, everybody. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah, um, I did not do it, get it, to do a podcast just today. Um, I decided to um, spend the morning watching cartoons, of all things. It was just one of those days. Cartoons were needed. I think, um, just for future reference, I'm probably going to go down to just three days a week during the podcast, just because I'm just finding it hard to keep on top of everything. Um, namely um just mental health breaks you know like not that the podcast is that super involved like that probably sounds a little like really but I don't know it just there there are a lot of things that I want to get accomplished and one of them is watching cartoons it makes me happy and I need I need anyway I don't have to justify myself and I'm not going to I just wanted to let you know but anyway (laughs) sorry oh yeah um anyway uh We are at Cleveland. Not that Cleveland, but the Cleveland that the Palmers own. Um, And uh, Marianne seems sick. Um, They blamed it on wet stockings and sitting in them. But, you know, like we talked about last time, she has been very depressed. And then they did a lot of traveling where she probably picked up a bug. um, And then it, you know, when you're down your immune system is also weakened, so... Anyway, we're gonna have to see what the consequences of that are, um... And yeah, I just really can't stress enough that in the pre-penicillin era, um, being sick was no small thing, um, it-it just-it was-it was was a dangerous thing to be-to be sick. Uh, I think that's one thing we take a lot for granted, um in in the modern era because you know we in general might have aspirin readily available to us uh if we're lucky and we can just say, Oh, it's no big thing, I'll oh, just take some aspirins, they'll feel better and and we do and it just wasn't quite quite so back then. Um anyway, so yeah, that's just That, yeah, there's that. All right, well, we're going to get started with chapter seven. I apparently am a little spacey today, so that's something to look forward to. Up the next morning at her usual time. To every inquiry, she replied that she was better, and tried to prove it herself so, by engaging in her customary employments. But a day spent shivering, sitting by the over the fire with a book in her hand, which she was unable to read, or in a lying weary and languid on a sofa, she did not speak much in favour of her amendment, and, when at last she went early to bed, more and more indisposed, Colonel Brandon was only astonished at her sister's composure, who, though attending and nursing her the whole day against Marianne's inclination and forcing proper medicines on her at night, trusted, like Marianne, to the certainty and efficiency of sleep, and felt no real alarm. A very restless and feverish night, however, uh, disappointed the expectation of both, when Marianne, after persisting in rising, confessed herself unable to sit up and returned voluntarily to her bed— Eleanor was very ready to adopt Mrs. Jennings' advice and sending for the Palmers' apothecary. Uh, So back in this day, you had, um... There were certain, like, levels of doctoring. Uh, An apothecary would have been somebody who, um, in general, could give medicines, give minor diagnoses. You... There were doctors who, um, in general, were much more skilled and more highly trained, but the apothecary, oh, I don't know, today's equivalent, I suppose, visiting an apothecary would be like visiting a a nurse practitioner, is my understanding, that, you know, that they didn't do the full bout at medical school, but they're still a really good, solid option, especially when you're in the country, Uh, it could be hard to find a doctor. Um, And so you would just see the apothecary and get some medicines, get checked out. Um, Anyway, so that was kind of the difference there. Uh, So the Palmers probably had a local apothecary there in the country. There might be a country doctor. um, And, uh, but usually the apothecary are like a first step. He came, examined his patient, and though encouraging Miss Dashwood to expect that a very few days would restore her sister's health, yet by pronouncing her disorder to have a putrid tendency, and allowing the word infection to pass his lips, gave instant alarm to Mrs. Palmer on her baby's account. Mrs. Jennings, who had been inclined from the first to think Marianne's complaint more serious than Eleanor, now looked very grave on Mr. Harris's report, and confirming Charlotte's fears and caution, urged the necessity of her immediate removal with her infant. And Mr. Palmer, though treating their apprehensions as idle, found the anxiety and inopportunity of his wife as too great to be withstood— and importunity, I said import—anyway. Important apparently, uh, his wife too great to be withstood. Her departure, therefore, was fixed on, and within the hour after Mister Harris's arrival, she set off with her little boy and his nurse for a house in the of a near relation of Mrs Palmer, who lived only a few miles on the other side of Bath. Whither her husband also promised at her earnest entreaty to join her in a day or two, and whither she almost equally urgent with her mother to accompany her. Mrs. Jennings, however, with a kindness of heart which really made Eleanor love her, declared her resolution of not stirring from Cleveland so long as Marianne remained ill, and of endeavoring by her own attentive care to supply her in the place of a mother she had taken her from, and Eleanor found her on every occasion a most willing and active helpmate, desirous to share in all her fatigues, and often by her better experience of nursing, of material use." Poor Marianne, languid and low from the nature of her malady, and feeling herself universally ill, could no longer hope that tomorrow could find her recovered. And the idea of what tomorrow would have produced, but for this unlikely illness, made every ailment more severe, for on that day they were to have begun their journey home, and attended by the whole way a servant of Mrs. Jennings, were to have taken their mother by surprise on the following forenoon. The little that she said was in lamentation of this inevitable delay, Though Eleanor tried to raise her spirits and make her believe that, as she then really believed herself, that it would be a very short one. The next day produced little or no alteration in the state of the patient. She was certainly no better, except that there was no amendment. It did not appear worse. Their party was now further reduced, for Mr. Palmer, though unwilling to go, as well from real humanity and good nature, as from a dislike of appearing to be frightened away by his wife, was persuaded at last by the Colonel Brandon to perform his promise of following her, and, while he was preparing to go, Colonel Brandon himself, was a much greater exertion, began to talk of going likewise. Here, however, the kindness of Mrs. Jennings interposed most acceptably, for to send the Colonel away while his love was in so much uneasiness on her sister's account would be be to deprive them both, she thought, of every comfort, and therefore— Telling him at once that his stay at Cleveland was necessary to herself, and that she would not want him to play she would want him to play at Piquette of an evening while Mrs. Dashwood is above with her sister and etc she urged him so strongly to remain that he, who was gratifying the first wish of his own heart by a complaisance. Could not longer affect Demure, especially as Mrs. Jennings' entreaty was warmly seconded by Mr. Palmer, who seemed to feel a relief in himself leaving behind a person so well to assist or advise Ms. Dashwood in case of emergency. Okay, so just a quick note. Um, infant mortality rates were very high in this era. Um, because, as previously discussed, fevers were very deadly Um, particularly in the infants and elderly who have weaker immune systems and body responses in general. Um, So that's why Mrs. Palmer freaked out immediately as soon as he said infection, because, you know, back then, yeah, you knew there were diseases that had names, but a lot of disease was a very unknown thing. She could have had anything and infection of any kind could be very threatening to a baby so that's why Mrs. Palmer ran away, and Mr. Palmer is going to go follow her because she wanted that. And then the, the two people who own the house leaving, Brandon, feels like he needs to go because, you know, this is a little weird. Like, if you were staying at a friend's house with a party of people and then the owners of the home were all leaving, I you know, you kind of feel obliged to say, well, I'll go too. You know, but thankfully Mrs. Jennings stepped in. Now she still thinks Brandon's attached to Eleanor, which isn't so, but I mean, either way it works out. Um, And Palmer jokingly thinks here that, you know, at least he's leaving behind one sensible person for uh, Eleanor. (laughs) And I think that's, that's kind of funny. Marianne was of course kept in ignorance of all these arrangements. She knew not that she had been the means of sending the owners of Cleveland away in about seven days from the time of their arrival. It gave her no surprise that she saw nothing of Mrs. Palmer, and it likewise gave no concern as she never mentioned her name. Two days passed away from the time of Mr. Palmer's departure, and her own situation continued with little variation the same. Mr. Harris, who attended her every day, still talked boldly of a speedy recovery, and Miss Dashwood was equally sanguine. but the expectations of the others were by no means cheerful. Mrs. Jennings had been determined on very very early in the seizure that Marianne would never get over it, and Colonel Brandon, who was chiefly of use in listening to Mrs. Jennings forebodings, was not in a state of mind to resist their influence. He tried to reason himself out of fears, which the judgment which different which the different judgment of the apothecary seemed to render absurd, but the many hours of each day in which he was left entirely alone were but too favourable for the admission of every melancholy idea, and he could not expel from his mind the persuasion that he should see Marianne no more on the third morning of the on the morning of the third day. However, the gloomy anticipation of both were almost done away for when Mr. Harris arrived, he declared his patient materially better. Her pulse was much stronger, and every symptom more favorable than the one that pre- in the preceding visit, Eleanor confirmed in every pleasant hope was all cheerfulness, rejoicing that her letters to her mother that she persuaded her own judgment rather than her friends pursued her own judgment rather than her friends, and in making very light of the indisposition indispi- which delayed them at Cleveland, and almost fixing on a time when Marianne should be able to travel, but the day did not close so auspiciously as it began. Towards the evening, Marianne became ill again, growing more heavy, restless, and uncomfortable than before. Her sister, however, still sanguine, was willing to attribute the change to nothing more than the fatigue of having sat up to have her bed made, and, carefully administering the cordials prescribed, saw her with satisfaction sink at last into a slumber, which she expected the most beneficial effects. There's no period, although the next sentence begins with a capital— Odd. That's that's just a printer's mistake. Her sleep, though not so quiet as Eleanor wished to see it, lasted a considerable time, and anxious to observe the result of it herself, she resolved to sit with her during the whole of it. Mrs. Jennings knew nothing of the change in the patient, went unusually early to bed. Her maid, who was one of the principal nurses, was recreating herself in the housekeeper's room, and Eleanor remained alone with Marianne. The repose of the latter became more and more disturbed, and her sister, who watched with unremitting attention to her continual change of posture posture, and heard the frequent but inarticulate sounds of complaint which passed her lips, was almost wishing to rouse her from so painful a slumber when Marianne, suddenly awakened by some accidental noise in the house, started hastily up with feverish wildness, crying out, Is mamma coming? not yet replied the other concealing her terror and assisting marianne to lie down again but she will be here i hope before it is long it is a great way you know from hence to barton but she must not go round by london cried marianne in the same hurried manner i shall never see her if she goes by london elinor perceived with alarm that she was not quite herself and while attempting to soothe her eagerly felt her pulse It was lower and quicker than ever, and Marianne, still talking wildly of Mamma, her alarm increased so rapidly as to determine on sending instantly for Mr. Harris and dispatching a messenger to Barton for her mother. To consult with Colonel Brandon was best means of effecting the latter. It was... A thought which immediately followed the resolution of his performance, and soon as she had rung up the maid to take her place by her sister, she hastened down to the dining room, where she knew he was generally to be found at a much later hour than the present. There was no time for hesitation. Her fears and her difficulties were immediately before him. Her fears he had no courage, no confidence to attempt the removal of. He listened to them in silent depend- depondent- despondence, but her difficulties were instantly obdulated. The, a, a big, ob, a, you know, I could keep trying, and you could all be amused. Aviated, Is that how you say that word? I'm going to have to look it up. Gosh darn it. obviated ah, yeah. For a readiness which seemed to speak the occasion, and the service prearranged in his mind, he offered himself as the messenger who should fetch Mrs. Dashwood. Eleanor made no resistance that was not easily overcome. She thanked him with brief but fervent gratitude. And while he went off in a hurry, and while he went off to hurry off his servant with a message to Mr. Harris, an order for post horses directly, she wrote a few lines to her mother. Post horses. um, The traveling, the the stagecoach inns all had um, large stables. Um, of horses that you could rent and they were called post horses uh generally because they were used by the post um, <laughs> but you could rent the horse and you could just drop it off at the next stable and um it was a way so that i mean brandon of course has his own horse but his own horse would tire too fast to make this whole journey. And if you can constantly swap out horses, you can make the journey much, much faster. Uh, if you're from the Americas, uh, think Pony Express. Um, okay, maybe that was just because I grew up in the West and Pony Express was really big. But, you know, some, some, something similar to that. Um, yeah, just swapping out your horse constantly. Instead of, yeah, taking your own horse and then letting it have a proper rest and... You just get to make the journey much, much faster. The comfort of such a friend at that moment as Colonel Brandon and such a companion for her mother, how gratefully it was felt. A companion whose judgment would guide, whose attendance must relieve, and whose friendship must soothe her. As far as the shock of such a summons could be lessened to her, his presence, his manners, his assistance would lessen it. "'He, meanwhile, whatever he might feel, "'acted with all the firmness of a collected mind, "'and made every necessary arrangement "'with the utmost dispatch, "'calculated with the exactness in the time "'in which she might look for his return. "'Not a moment was lost in delay of any kind. "'The horses arrived, even before they were expected, "'and Colonel Brandon, only pressing her hand "'with a look of solemnity, "'took a few words spoken too low "'and a few words spoken too low to reach her ear, "'hurried into the carriage.' It was then but twelve o'clock, and she returned to her sister's apartment to wait for the arrival of the apothecary and to wait for her, and to watch by her the rest of the night. It was a night of almost equal suffering in both. Hour by hour passed away in sleepless pain and delirium on Marianne's side, and it was the most cruel anxiety on Eleanor's, Before Mister. Harris appeared, his apprehensions once her apprehensions once raised, paid for their excess for all her former security and the servant who sat up with her, for she would not allow Mrs. Jennings to be called, only tortured her more by hints of what her mistress had always thought. Marianne's ideas were still at intervals fixed incoherently on her mother, and whatever she mentioned in her name, it gave pang to both the heart of poor Eleanor, who was reproaching herself for having trifled with so many days of illness, and wretched for some immediate relief, fancified that all relief might be in vain, and everything might have been delayed too long and pictured herself her suffering her mother's arrival too late to see this darling child, or to see her rational. She was on the point of sending again for Mr. Harris, or if he would not come for some other advice, when the foreigner, but not till after five o'clock, arrived. His opinion, however, made some little amends for his delay, for though acknowledging very unexpected and unpleasant alteration his patient, He would not allow the danger to be material, and talked of the relief which a fresh mode of treatment must procure, and a confidence which, to a lesser degree, was communicated to Eleanor. He promised to call again in the course of three or four hours, and left both the patient and her anxious attendant more composed than he had found them. With a strong concern and many reproaches for not being called to her aid, did Mrs. Jennings hear in the morning of what had passed. Her former apprehensions now, with greater reason, restored— Left her no doubt of the event, and though trying, and though trying to speak comfort to Eleanor, her conviction that her sister's danger would not allow her to offer the comfort of hope, her heart was really very grieved. The rapid decay, the early death of a girl so young, so lovely as Marianne, must have struck with a less interested person with concern. On Missus Jennings' compassion, she had other claims. She had been for three months her companion, was still under her care, and was to have known to be gravely injured and long unhappy. The distress of her sister, too, a particular favorite, was before her, and, as for their mother, when Mrs. Jennings considered that Marianne might probably be to her what Charlotte was to herself, her sympathy in her sufferings were very severe. Mr. Harris was punctual in his second visit, but he came to be disappointed in his hopes of what the last would produce. His medicines had failed, the fever was unabated, and Marianne, only more quiet, not more herself, remained in a heavy stupor. Eleanor, catching all and more than all of his fears in a moment, proposed to call for further advice, but he judged it unnecessary. He still had something more to try, some fresh application, whose success he was confident as the last. His visit concluded with encouraging assurances which reached the ear, but not enter the heart of Miss Dashwood." She was calm, except when she thought of her mother, but still she was almost hopeless, and in this state she continued until noon, scarcely stirring an inch from her sister's bed, her thoughts wandering from one image of grief, one suffering friend to another, her spirit suppressed by the utmost conversation of Mrs. Jennings, whose scruple would not attribute the severity of danger of this attack to the many weeks of previous indisposition which Marianne's disappointment had brought on. Eleanor felt the reasonableness of this idea, and gave, it gave fresh misery to her reflections. About how, about noon, however, she began, with a caution, a dread of disappointment, which for some time kept her silent, even to her friend, to fancy a hope that she could perceive a slight amendment in her sister's pulse. She waited, watched, and examined it again and again, and at last, with agitation more difficulty to bury under her exterior calmness than foregoing her distress, ventured to communicate her hopes." Mrs. Jennings, though forced on examination to acknowledge a temporary revival, tried to keep her young friend from indulging the thought of its continuance. And Eleanor, conning over every injunction of distrust, told herself likewise not to hope. But it was too late; hope had already entered. And feeling all its anxious flutter, she bent to watch over her sister. She hardly knew for what. Half an hour passed away, and the favorable symptom yet blessed, and another favorable symptom yet blessed her. "'Others even arose to confirm it. "'Her breath, her skin, her lips "'all flattered Eleanor with signs of amendment, "'and Marianne fixed her eyes on her "'with a rational, though languid, gaze. "'Anxiety and hope now oppressed her in equal degrees "'and left her no moment of tranquility "'till the arrival of Mr. Harris at four o'clock, "'when his assurances and his felicitations "'on a recovery in her sister, "'even surpassing his expectation, "'gave her confidence, comfort, and tears of joy.' Marianne was in every respect marginally better, and he declared her to be entirely out of danger. Mrs. Jennings, perhaps satisfied with the par- partial ju- justification of her foreboding, which had been found in the late alarm, allowed herself to trust his judgment, and admit the unfeigned joy and soon unequivocal cheerfulness the probability of an entire recovery. Eleanor could not be cheerful. Her joy was of a different kind, and led to anything rather than to gaiety— Marianne, restored to life, health, and friends, and a doting mother, was an idea to fill her heart with sensations of exquisite comfort and expand it in fervent gratitude, but it led to no outward demonstrations of joy, no words, no smiles, all within Eleanor's breast was satisfaction, silent, and strong. She continued by the side of her sister with little intermission the whole afternoon, claiming every—calming every fear, satisfying every inquiry of her enfeebled spirits and supplying every succor and watching almost every look and breath. The possibility of a relapse would, of course, in some moments occur to her mind of what anxiety was, but when she saw, on her frequent and minute examination, that every symptom of recovery continued, and saw Marianne at six o'clock sink into a quiet, steady, and to all appearance comfortable sleep, she silenced every doubt. The time was now drawing on when Colonel Brandon might be expected back, at ten o'clock, she trusted, or no, at least not much later, her mother would be relieved from this dreadful suspense, which she must be travelling with them. With towards them, the colonel too, perhaps scarcely less an object of pity. Oh, how slow was the progress of time, which kept them all in ignorance! At seven o'clock, leaving Marianne still sweetly asleep, she turned, joined Mrs. Jennings in the drawing room to tea. A breakfast she had been kept by her fears, and the dinner was now the sudden reverse, from eating much, and present refreshment, therefore, with such feelings of contentment as she brought it, was particularly welcome. Mrs. Jennings would have persuaded her at its conclusion to take some rest before her mother's arrival, and allow her to take the place of Marianne, by Marianne, but Eleanor had no sense of fatigue, no capability of sleep at that moment about her. She was not to be kept away from her sister an unnecessary instant." Mrs. Jennings, therefore, attending her up the stairs to the sick chamber, to satisfy herself that all continued to be right, left her there again in her her charge and her thoughts, and retired to her own room to write letters and sleep. The night was cold and stormy, the wind roared all about the house, the rain beat against the windows, but Eleanor was happiness within, and regarded it not. Marianne slept through every blast, and the travelers, they had a rich reward in store for every present inconvenience." The clock struck eight. Had it been ten, Eleanor would have been convinced at that moment she heard a carriage driving up to the house, and so strong was the persuasion that she did, in spite of the almost improbability of their being already come, that she moved to the adjoining dressing closet and opened a window shutter to be satisfied of the truth. She instantly saw that her ears had not deceived her. The flaring lamps of a carriage were immediately in view. By their uncertain light, she thought she could discern it to be drawn by four horses— and this, while it told the excess of her poor mother's alarm, gave some explanation of such unexpected rapidity. Never in her life had Eleanor found it so difficult to be calm, as that moment, the knowledge of what her mother must be feeling as the carriage stopped at the door, of her doubt, her dread, her perhaps despair, of what she had to tell. Such knowledge was impossible to be calm, with such knowledge was impossible to be calm. All that remained was to be done was to be speedy, and therefore staying only till she could leave Mrs. Jennings' maid with her sister, she hurried downstairs. The bustle in the vestibule as she passed along an inner lobby assured her that they were already in the house. She rushed forwards into the drawing room. She entered it. She saw only Willoughby. End chapter seven. All right. Well, um, what a cliffhanger ending, you know, just when you think you don't, you, you know it all and Jane Austen isn't going to surprise you. She gives you a cliffhanger ending of a chapter. Um, (laughs) but yeah, uh, what a, what a rough chapter. I mean, poor, poor family, poor, I mean, it's just, um, so I don't know if any of you have ever been around someone who has a really, really high fever that just, they couldn't come down from. But delirium is a sign of, a you know, an out of control high fever because your your body just can't function anymore, and so your body starts doing weird things like delirium. I, you know, zero percent a medical professional, so I don't know exactly why, but um, so that's definitely what Marianne was going through. She was going through an unchecked fever. Um, and he says he keeps trying these uh, new medicines and things on her. Well, you know, (sighs) medicines, and I think most of us know we have great enjoyment in reading those old-timey medicine bottles, you know, half of it's cocaine and half of it's just sugar. Um, so really oftentimes old medicines were not that helpful. Um, of course there are natural remedies out there in the world uh like that we do know of like willow bark and stuff that are good for uh pain relief and things like so i mean they're not to say that there are no natural remedies but in this era um more often these types of cordials and things that they were prescribing were like um drugs that we would now say are you know (laughs) class you know forbidden or whatever class drug they are um and then, uh, you know, I don't know, just like the the medicines that he was prescribing probably weren't the most helpful medicines that one could ever prescribe. Um, so Marianne got very lucky that, you know, whatever he did put into her system uh, did happen to help her. Um, we are past the era of leeching and bleeding, you know. Uh, they, at this and in this era, they knew that blood was good to have in your body. Uh, I think there were still a few treatments and a few things that they would do that they would do bleeding. Um, but in, So they weren't at least trying to bleed Marianne or something like you see an old-timey movie you'll see. Oh, bloodletting. And by this era, they figured out, mm, no, there's a reason your body has blood. And you probably shouldn't just let it go. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, medicine was still hit and miss. And just like it is today, medicine is very hit and miss thing. Sometimes you get a doctor um, who is really up on their game, and they are very modern, and they have stayed on top of the latest research. And sometimes you get your, in front of a doctor that hasn't read a thing, it seems, since they graduated medical school 40 years ago. And, uh, you know, medicine's always, a, a, I find, a, a hit and miss. But... Luckily, Marianne seems to have turned the corner. Whatever it was uh, that put her in, Eleanor seems to have found a quiet inner strength she's had for a long time. But she seems now to—it really helped her through this because you know. And and there is Marianne's better. She didn't ha- smile or anything. She just she was she was happy, and that was enough. Uh, she didn't have to be all beams and all, Ee-hee! and jumping up and down and. That that horse whinny was my form of giggling. Um, I I don't know why I did a horse whinny. Please ignore that. Uh but anyway, um, very interesting character development for El Eleanor. There she really came into her own, and she has grown to really love these people. Marianne, however, is you know, she's been so out of it. She probably has no idea like how much she relies and how good these people are for her. Um, but anyway. Uh, we will next time see what Willoughby is there for um, and why he's there and what in the heck does he think he's doing showing up at Cleveland with a horse and four. I mean, to travel with four horses is not only a sign of wealth, but it's also, I have to get there immediately type thing. You know, uh, you only travel with four horses when you really needed to get somewhere because obviously you went faster the more horsepower you had. Hence, we still use horsepower today and an antiquated way of talking about engine power. Um, anyway, that's that's just a, that's a different story. So we'll get to that to the next time. I hope all of you are healthy and not having fevers. And if you are, you know, thank God for mold grown in a Petri dish penicillin. Yay.